0: So, Laurent, you just came out of a retreat. Tell us about yeah. it. Um, so it was a Goenka Vipassana retreat. And, um, so I, I saw that you recommend to do some uh, retreat, but mostly like by yourself in nature. And uh, and that really appealed to me, but um, I wanted to try out <laughs> also uh, um, these Goenka retreats to see what uh, what was inside exactly and have my own experience so um it was very hard <laughs> for me it was very unwholesome i i came in i came in uh very confident so i uh, i had practiced i was very wholesome, and um i could keep it up for like a few days but um, most of the time just the like the the, the pain and uh, also the the fact that I felt like uh, not free to do what I want, <laughs> and that was uh, uh, very hard to um, like to to keep the in off my mind. Mm-hmm. But um, so very very tough, uh, like very hard, and I mean very unpleasant. But also, I got the chance to see how I created all this uh, misery. <laughs> So I know, like, uh, what was my want, and uh, like, if I wanted to get out of the the room, I would suffer more. So mm-hmm. I, I I learned how to see, uh, um like this dependent origination that uh, we were talking about, uh, okay. like how how the mind affects the, the feelings, the sensations in the body, and how I could uh, sometimes. Um, Ask myself, can I be satisfied with this uh maybe this uh, anxiety or this this bodily sensation and uh then it would turn into uh, a good feeling instead. So that was interesting. Um uh, I think I learned uh, by observing also on myself. So you know, good and bad. <laughs> I mean they, it was they, uh they. yeah.
1: They do these retreats with the idea of helping the student by taking away all of the things that are unnecessary so that the student can just focus on what they need to focus on for practice. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to work. Yes. Uh, because the students are already dependent upon all of the things that they would normally bring to a retreat with them. Uh, and so having those things removed so that there's really nothing to do and no place to go. And mm-hmm. the students are generally not ready to handle that yet.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the idea then, if you go off on a private retreat, then you can, uh, let us say, uh, mollify the disasters because of the kind of things that you do bring to it. For instance, if you go on a 10 day camping trip, you're going to bring all kinds of camping equipment that you could play with, that you're not going to get to play with if you do a retreat.
0: Yeah, and you can go on
1: walks and watch nature. And uh, mm-hmm.
0: I remember and the best time was when I would uh, get out of the hole and just uh, watch some insects. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so,
1: yeah. and so a, a good retreat would be a balance. Whatever the student is ready for, that we can balance the uh, the getting away from it all, and dragging a little of it all with us. Mm-hmm so that we can uh, find a middle path, uh, that the retreats are set up in that way for the very, very best of the students, ones who have done many retreats before, but in a, in a lot of other cases, the, the retreats are for the beginners. And so the structure is for the advanced students and the, instru- uh, uh, let us say, the situation is designed around the, the, um, the advanced students, but most of the students are new and so they wind up doing it that way. And so it's kind of out of balance. It would be good if we could find a way of having students in a retreat who are all basically on the same level so that we could set things up like that for them. But that's never the case. Mhm yeah, sure. Uh, and and so they they say things like, "Well, don't bring any books or we'll take your books, we'll take your cell phone, we'll take your computer, we'll take your television, we'll We'll take everything that you used to use as time structuring, so that you can find a new way of time structuring, but most students don't they go into misery because they don't know how to structure their time
0: yeah
1: <laughs> one moment at a time, and so I thought that I would mention that uh as part of the problem with the retreats is is that uh it's impossible to get one retreat uh size that fits all. Mm-hmm. It's not very yeah. easy to do yeah,
0: I mean, it's just like
1: uh any teaching you have to to make it uh, individual for the mm-hmm. student. And also, uh, because you had gotten a lot of instructions on how to practice correctly before you went to the retreat, you had that to fall back on. To where many of the students didn't. Mm-hmm. Many students will go into retreat right, not really understanding what's going on, and they're kind of lost right from the very beginning.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was, I think, uh, an advantage. But also, I uh, I forgot how it felt to feel really bad. <laughs> so that was uh, also like a shock <laughs> when I started getting a negative emotion and not being able to to, to flip them. Uh, and no. also I, I saw that it wasn't working uh, the way I felt was um, uh, helpful for me. So I, but I still wanted to see what was in the, in the end and the body scanning and stuff. So that was also mm. part of the suffering.
1: <laughs> but yeah. One of the things that happens quite often is with students when they go into their own old kind of negativity, they wind up doing that, but then blaming the retreat people for it. In other words, I feel bad now because okay. of the retreat, and I want out of this retreat so I won't feel so bad.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. they
1: miss the point. The better way of looking at it is, hey, these people have done me a favor by putting me in a position that I have to deal with what's happening in my own mind. Yeah. And uh, if we see it that way, then we can recognize then that it's not their fault yeah, that yeah. I don't have my book. It's my fault that I don't like it, that I don't have my book. Okay, yeah. My cell phone or whatever it is. Um, and so um, let's do this. Tell me what you, advantage or what value you got out of doing the retreat.
0: Well, I, um, I really noticed more than the the emotion, the sensation that I was feeling uh, are on the body. Uh, usually, I saw them like uh, being you know in front of me or on the side and uh now i feel like uh when i scan the body i can feel them more uh, right here uh, i don't know if the the location is important but now i feel them more like sticking to to my body uh, kind of a feeling like this i can go through them uh more easily so i can see them when I react uh, that's very um i mean helpful i think because i can uh less of them are like unnoticed and ignored so i can not react as much and be able to switch before i go into like a, a bad mood <laughs> um mm-hmm. also i saw how my want was creating the suffering i knew it but i saw it even more um i found new new wholesome talks to have to try to to, to fight the negativity <laughs> um and I saw how I could uh, feel unsatisfied even in a very beautiful environment with everything I needed. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I just thought about all these things, and uh, I think the um, like, yeah, being happy is the only thing that makes uh, sense working for. I guess. Oh, I mean, mm. uh, yeah. And how much I distracted myself also every day from the <laughs> negativity by doing things and.
1: Yeah. Well, one one point of good fortune that you can look at or that you can say that you were lucky that at least you had had some experience of and knew, at least intellectually, how to practice correctly to where many people who go to a retreat, they hear about it. They think it's a good idea and they go to it unprepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they
0: yeah go un- everyone. Yeah. Everyone was yeah. miserable, and uh, that was very uh deeply sad for me i mean and some people were doing it they told me afterward for like fifteen years and I asked them if they had uh, as much negativity and they were like yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh even the teacher everyone has a had a very like sad face uh, you know, and that was very uh, I understand how important <laughs> what we're doing. Well, is. <laughs> at least
1: everybody should be at the end yeah. of the retreat really glad that it's over. Yeah, yeah that, that was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we could have had that gladness that it's over starting on day one, but we don't do it. We, we uh, don't know how to practice correctly. And even if we know intellectually how to practice correctly, under the circumstances, it's hard to continue to apply that because the old negativity is so huge. It just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. But if you're um, at least practicing a little bit correctly, over a few days, you begin to gain go through that, that most of the misery is at the beginning of the retreat. And if you're uh, practicing correctly, you kind of fall into the retreat of it, and then it becomes kind of really okay. Did you experience that? Did you ever get into the position to where you felt like, well, this is all right. This retreat's not bad. I can well, handle
0: this. <laughs> A few days, I had uh, like uh, maybe three days where I felt good. Most of the, the day, I, and I could even stay myself. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a, I felt like a, um, like a success during this day. And then, but uh, i I mean, I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. It's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's normal that I couldn't feel a uh, good throughout the or retreat. So just okay. a, a good experience. Interesting. Think,
1: think think, about it kind of like this. Here's an, an analogy for retreats. Retreats are very much like the student is a young bird who has not yet learned to fly. And that the, uh, the adult birds uh, say that it's time and they kick him out of the nest. Yeah. Well, what happens with every young bird when it's kicked out of the nest is that it starts to fall. The question is, is he ever during that fall going to figure out that he's got wings and he can make a choice or is he going to crash land? Yeah. <laughs> and most of the students in retreats wind up crash landing. Also, the, the thing I did that
0: could, that uh, helped me was uh, not to stick to what they told me uh, as instruction. Um because uh, when I when I was uh, trying to apply what was said, I would really go like down. so mm-hmm. sometimes I, I had uh, intended to leave the awesome thoughts and what we practice I mean the way we practiced uh, aside to really experience um, what was there, but <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't do it all the way. sometimes I had to just uh, stop uh, the, the scanning and do awesome thoughts to
1: <laughs> to survive. Uh-huh. Um, most <laughs> well, one way of yeah. looking at <clears throat> one way of looking at this whole process um, that is actually common, we see this in things like um, AA, when people go to AA to quit drinking, the ones who are successful are the ones who have hit rock bottom people who are let us say forced into therapy or forced into AA by the court yeah, they... they generally don't get anything out of it okay mm-hmm. because you haven't hit rock bottom yet or you haven't seen dukkha yet yeah. okay and so this is part of the reason for setting that course up the way that it is kicking the birds out of the nest because here the ground comes right up at you you got to do something about it or you're going to crash land. You're going to hit rock bottom. And so <clears throat> that's, but I don't think that that's actually the best way to teach. Because the students in that regard have to see the dukkha themselves without actually knowing what to look for. This is why a very good understanding of the nature of dukkha the, really get the Four Noble Truths down before the retreat starts, so that you can begin to practice correctly right from the very beginning. And uh, you can see that in in some ways you were doing that a little bit, but not completely. Mm -hmm. That if you had been practicing correctly according to seeing the dukkha every time that it came up, then you'd begin to uh, uh, learn to maneuver around it rather than crashing into it but the retreats are set up that way and that's uh, i have actually uh seen the statistics or been informed about it uh that it takes a long time for the second retreat that students will take a first retreat and whether they admit or not that they got anything or not out of the retreat it's still going to be a long time before they do another retreat Mm -hmm. That proves that they really didn't get out of it. That, in fact, uh, uh, if the retreat was successful, then the attitude would be, I ain't going home, I'm going to stay here. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't the the case for most people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But everybody at the end of the retreat, almost everyone says, let me out (laughs) of here. I want away from it. So that means then that They really don't hit rock bottom, but they come pretty close. Because if we do hit rock bottom, then that is actually a huge wake-up call. That that happens in uh, uh, various things and possibly drug addiction and um, uh, uh, AA or narcotics anonymous and that kind of stuff really works very well when people do hit rock bottom because they recognize, hey, I've got to do something. This is not working. I've got to do something new. But mostly when people go into retreats, they go into it ignorantly and uh, they're not aware that uh, the, the whole situation has been taking all the supports out of you so that if you're not practicing correctly, you are going to hit rock bottom no cell phones, no communications, no writing utensils, no entertainment, nothing except deal with your own mind. And if people are not able to do that, then they're going to hit rock bottom. And if they are able to do that and keep flapping at least a little while, a little bit, they're going to start coming out of that funk Mm -hmm. into a really nice space during the retreat. So that's what I was kind of asking you about. Did you ever come to the point where you really liked being in the retreat. Um, I uh, at some
0: point I did. And I also felt like I did it uh, rock bottom. I thought I one day I was just, uh, you know, at the end, like, <laughs> I, th- I thought <laughs> I was going to, to go crazy or something. And I was thinking about all kind of like dark stuff. And I even thought about, uh, you know, death and like uh, I r- realized, like everyone uh, like myself and everyone I know, is for sure going to die and i just realized it uh, you know deeply and <laughs> this and then i thought about it for the whole day i couldn't keep it out mm-hmm. and um and i didn't want to keep it out because i knew it was true so i uh, i tried to you know see it and work with the emotions around it and uh, after this day i was like just exhausted <laughs> but it was on the ninth day so the 10th day we just talked and and. Yeah, at some point it was it felt good, but um, maybe I didn't uh, hit rock bottom hard enough. I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Well, um, the the right way of teaching the teachings of the Buddha is to get the student to become aware of that they don't have to hit rock bottom. That you can see. That you're falling through the air, it's time to start flapping. It's time to pull the ripcord and open the parachute, or something like that. That while while you're in that that uh, free fall, uh, it's time to do something new. This is where we start practicing correctly. As oh, I can in fact start doing something new right now. I don't have to wait until I crash land and then do something. I can start doing something right away. And so Mm -hmm. this would be the value of the retreats, getting off into seclusion. There's there's a whole lot to be said about it. One of the the points is, is that actual seclusion where the Buddha says to go to to the forest or to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut and sit down And bring mindfulness to the poor. That's that's in several suttas. I have never, ever seen any sutta say, (laughs) sign up for a retreat. Yeah. And go to a retreat. (laughs) And then, in fact, the retreats themselves are uh, not a retreat, Because someone is not in seclusion, they're at best pretending to be in seclusion. And if there's a hundred students in that retreat, then that's a hundred students jam-packed together, each one of them pretending to be in seclusion. And there's a whole lot of negative thoughts and stuff in the air that, in fact, one of the favorite reasons for uh, people going into bad feelings is by blaming the other students. Oh, he's coughing. I can't concentrate when he's coughing, All right? Instead of what well, you can enjoy coughing, there it is, your choice. Are you going to complain about that coughing or are you going to just be there with it? And so we often blame the other students. This is part of the reason why I'm saying that the seclusion is actually artificial. It's not real. That the real point would be to actually do take the retreat time to go off into the woods, take your camping equipment and go and be alone, really alone. That's where you realize that the negativity is coming from you. And And then you have Mm, to recognize it all because the forest is not making you feel bad. (laughs) You're doing that. Uh, and, And so this is the real point, is that when we do recognize that we're the ones that are responsible for making the best out of that retreat, then we can do that. But we almost always come into it with the idea of the normal person and we wind up blaming the retreat, blaming our lack of uh, um, entertainment, blaming the other students instead of recognizing that that blaming needs to be changed. That's what needs to be changed is the blaming. So when you catch yourself blaming the retreat or the furniture or the room or the people or any of that other stuff that should be um, uh, a trigger and they should mention that in these retreats yeah yeah that's true it would be helpful at least in the beginning to
0: mm-hmm. to talk about this yeah
1: well i don't know who did the retreat nor who uh set it up but i do know
0: I think you're, uh, you froze.
1: Videos from time to time, it doesn't matter. Uh, so anyway, I'm pleased that you're telling me about the retreat that you were uh, uh, going to. What I had started to talk about was, um, and I saw it really strongly in uh, the Gowanka that the students who run the Goenka retreats are so in a box that none of them will actually learn how to manage and run retreats because they keep using old videos, old CDs and DVDs from Goenka. And the, then the new teachers don't get trained. And the worst part of it is, is that any of the things that could be made different don't get made better because they're too busy trying to keep it exactly the way that it was in
0: 1980.
1: In India in 1980.
0: Yeah, there's and, different
1: I, and I also see that a bit in the Mahasi method, that they try to do it the way that it used to be done instead of doing it according to what the students in this class need today. Mm-hmm. And so that's another problem with the retreats is is that uh, even though students will have a new issue that the teacher didn't talk about 40 years ago, but we know they're having that trouble. We don't talk about it today, even though we know it's a problem, because it wasn't talked about uh, 40 years ago in Mm -hmm. the retreats that that happened back then, back in 1980. Let's see, 80, 80 Yeah, it has been about 40 years. So uh, if we were going to do retreats with good teachers who know what the students are going through, we could set the retreats up better for that. And this is actually part of the reason that I had stopped doing the retreats. The last retreat that I ran was about 2005 and I haven't run any retreats since then. So it's been more than 15, 17 years since I've, since I've led them. Now I tell the students, go to the woods, go into private for your time. You don't need uh, to do the retreats because the instructions you don't need that you get in the retreats because the instructions uh, are there for those who don't know the instructions. You already know the instructions. You already know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, yeah, the woods sounds a lot more uh, interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and uh, then you can cool deal ones. with the real things. OK, uh, an example of that would be that in the um, in the retreat setting things don't go bump in the night and if they do the students still even though they may not like the environment they feel fairly safe and secure when you go off into the woods and are sleeping in a tent there is going to be noise in the night because that's one of the things that students do call about is, is that things go bump in the night and it's a bear what do i do about the bear attacking me guess what just because something would bump in the night didn't mean that you were attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and so students can actually deal with more real issues like fear of bump in the night and uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, going on walks would, would include going on walks to be able to walk a log. Mm-hmm. Okay because now you're practicing balance. You're being in the here now, learning to balance and do many of the things in the woods we will do. We will actually learn to be kids again. We'll go do the things that we would do if we were 10 years old. Here we are 35, but we're going to go out in the woods and spend a week in the woods all alone. What do we do? We do the things we would do when we were 10 and we can learn to enjoy it. But when we get into those heavy duty retreat settings that have a very, very heavy schedule, you got to be there. You got to sit. You got to do what you're told to do over and over again. And that's actually going to build resentments just like it would in a 10-year-old kid. The 10-year-old kid is out there in the woods having fun, doing what he wants to do. You put a 10-year-old kid in a retreat, he's going to be miserable. Yeah, that was that was me. <laughs> like the the feeling of uh, having having to
0: do stuff. So I would repeat to myself, "I chose. I, I am I, free. I can go uh, whenever I want. Uh, I don't have to even go to the meditation hall right now." Mm-hmm. But um, I would impose myself to to do it and uh, this rule. Uh, I think I probably have some trouble with uh, rules and authority. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to to ask you about this. Um, how could I um, maybe not uh, be uh, disturbed by uh, by the rules? Because um, I mean, for now it served me because I, you know, I, I started working for myself, and uh, because I couldn't handle uh, being uh, not being my my own boss or having people telling me what I should do and stuff. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's hard because I want to. Set rules or like follow some rules, and uh, and uh, the feeling of uh, not having freedom, and, <laughs> and that's that's,
1: mm-hmm. that's well. Tough. One of the things that I would do, or that I do, when a student comes to tell me, "Oh, they're going to do a retreat," I very rarely talk them out of it directly, because there is value in doing those retreats. Even if the value that we get out of it is, well, wow, I'm not ever going to do that again, because now we know <laughs> if we had never done a retreat, then the answer would be, well, gosh, I maybe stop playing in the woods and go do a real retreat. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. so if the students want to yes. do a retreat, I'll say, sure, go ahead and we'll talk about it afterwards. But you do realize that um Never mind the settings and all the rules and all the procedures and everything that we've already talked about from it. It does give you a complete opportunity to sit there with nothing to do and no place to go and enjoy the heck out of the retreat. And nobody does that. Nobody (laughs) does that. When, in fact, many of them will go to the retreat with that idea in mind. Oh, yeah, I can just sit here and do Mm -hmm. nothing and just enjoy myself for the next 10 days. And nobody does that. They don't do it. Why? Because all the old hindrances of the mind come right back up. And we have to learn to deal with those things. And so you could say that the first retreat that someone does, it really is all about hindrances. That we can't do anything when the hindrances are there and the whole first retreat should be seeing those hindrances, removing it, see them come back, removing them, see them come back again, throw them back out over and over and over and over again. And after four or five days of that, we can come into a really nice state. Even if we haven't been practicing much of throwing hindrances out, if we recognize that's the only real job to be done, and with all of the instructions and whatnot that the students get, rarely do they get this point about the hindrances have to be removed. This is your first job is to come out of the hindrances so that you can actually now begin to get some real value out of the retreat. But so long as you're in a state of not liking the retreat, not liking the settings, not liking the rules, not liking doing without all the stuff that you used to play with and all of that, then we get stuck into that not liking, and that becomes our retreat for us
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of not liking. And so I'm glad to hear you tell me that you finally stopped doing that after a while and started actually practicing correctly. Mm Yes. Good and for you.
0: Choice
1: that I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and and so now you can make better choices about how you're going to deal with retreats, whether you're going to go do yet another retreat, or whether you're going to actually go off and do it the way that the Buddha said and just get yourself away from it all, just get yourself into seclusion and start having happy, marvelous, wonderful thoughts. Over and over and over again. Because there's nobody there to push your buttons. But in a retreat, you've got hundreds of people pushing hundreds of buttons for hundreds of people. (laughs) And yet at the same time, they're presenting to be in seclusion. Well, real seclusion doesn't have any rules. Real seclusion doesn't have a bell. Real seclusion doesn't even have uh, uh, the meditation hall. And so all of these formalities that are trying to give people the, the feeling of seclusion doesn't really cut it because it's not real. It's artificial. That's the problem with retreats that they're artificial. And at, uh, in a way, they're not only artificial, but many of the retreats in the West, not like in Asia. In Asia, the retreats are, there's a piece of floor over there. That's where you can sleep at night. But in uh, the West, they wind up being a fancy hotel suite with a nice bed and all that kind of stuff. I don't know where what kind of retreat that, that you had, but at Wantsu and Mok. All the students get is a slab of concrete to sleep on.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's tough.
1: <laughs> no, we, so, we had
0: beds, not, not crazy good, but uh, you know, regular like mattress. Okay. But well, the environment was beautiful. The food was good. I mean, everything was nice. Like when you look at it, and uh, right. that I really, I really realized that it was uh,
1: myself that <laughs> was. Uh, not enjoying this this paradise
0: you
1: know right so they so the retreat centers try to make it as as best that they can and as much like western the world as they can while they're adding the retreat to it uh which actually that makes it expensive what makes these retreats in the west expensive is the accommodations that we don't need yeah. But but many of the students, they don't know how to sleep on the floor. They don't know that they could bring their own bedding and make a pallet or uh, several blankets. And they don't know how to sleep on their sides and all kinds of other stuff to get ready for doing one of those really wil- wilderness retreats is really what would be much better rather than these organized um, um, hotel rooms. Uh, having the meditation hall uh, converted out of a a hotel ballroom. That seems to be the way that many of the retreats are set up, trying to make it as easy on the students as possible uh, because of giving them good accommodations. But then why do they make them sit on the floor? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because they do the sitting on the floor in Asia. Well, in Asia, they sleep on the floor, too. Why do we have to have beds on one hand and no furniture on the other? So that's kind of weird. But if you do a retreat in Asia, you don't get no. any furniture, you don't get any bed, you don't get nothing. <laughs> no. But they but they often give people more freedom, the freedom to go on walks in nature and whatnot like that. Um. And so, uh, the the important thing that I have seen is is that many of the students, when they go to a retreat, they don't get proper preparation. are not ready for the retreat. During the retreat, there's so many students and so few teachers that they don't get really good guidance personally. But they get uh, uh, Dhamma talks one, two, or three a day. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the retreat, the retreat's over, and everybody's got to go home, and normally they pay for the retreat, and then when the retreat, it's like a business deal. You pay for the retreat, you do the retreat, you don't get ready for the retreat, and there's no after uh, uh, follow-up after the retreat, is over. To where if you have a relationship like we have, you after your retreat, you can come back and we can rehash this stuff and figure out what what worked and what didn't and all of that kind of stuff. And most people who do a retreat, they don't have that. Yeah. The retreat's it's over when it's over. You go home now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true.
0: Yeah, that's very uh, good to to have, actually. I'm really grateful for <laughs> for what we, we have here. And all the work we do, because I feel like how much uh, value, uh, how much joy it has brought me. So, yeah, I really, when I was in the Rijit, I was like, wow, I didn't realize how how good I was.
1: uh. I've had conversations with Achan Po about that, that one's own liberation is marvelous. But guess what? The teacher. When he sees the student making great progress, he gets great pleasure out of that also. In fact, most of the pleasure that I get now is not from my own development, been there, done that. But watching the students gaining their own progress, gaining their own value, that's really the, uh, the sweet part of being a teacher, is seeing the students getting success. And that's part of the reason why I don't do retreats much anymore is because during the retreats, the students are not getting much success. They're too busy following the rules. And uh, trying to put up with the new environment and all of that kind of stuff and nothing is really okay in a retreat. But that's why it would be much better for each student to get good instructions and then go off and do the retreat on their own, knowing that if they need the teacher and, and to fill in some gaps, they can call him on the cell phone. You can take a cell phone into the woods, but you can't take a cell phone into the retreat. They won't let you. They'll take your cell phones away from you. So I've heard. I've even <laughs> seen it done. <laughs> yeah, 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 they do. <laughs> yeah. And, in, and in some places, they'll even take passports. <laughs>
0: yeah that's uh, another kind of retreat <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um and uh, how and, would you but, recommend to like if i go off in the woods maybe uh i wouldn't do it for like 10 days but maybe start with four uh in the mountains. a weekend, the wood, weekend. a weekend weekend i mean yeah i can four days w- would be good because i can I can I work only like like two three days a week now because I'm getting mm-hmm. lazier and lazier and uh, <laughs> and so then I have a lot of time that I want to put to good use and this sounds very like uh good use and also something I would like to do even if it wasn't for a retreat so mm-hmm. um what would you recommend to um like if I go off in the woods for four days should I just try to uh, feed the awesome thoughts and um and remove the hindrances and do that in like in a secluded environments, or is there some like uh, talks I, could, I, uh, I should listen? Uh, how would you structure that, and um, and the time I have during the retreat? The, well, uh, I mean the seclusion.
1: <laughs> I I would I would make sure that the uh, either in the orientation or and that's the best place to do it. And then maybe do it again on the first morning of the retreat after it gets started. Normally they have the orientation on the evening before the retreat starts and then it starts early the next morning. But in that orientation retreat is the time to give proper instructions for what should be done right from the very beginning rather than waiting for uh, the middle of day one to tell the students, oh, now that you've been practicing two or three hours without (laughs) any instructions at all, I'll give you some instructions now. That's not the right way to do it. It's better for the students to have some instructions before they start, and then those same instructions are repeated over and over and over again for the first several days to make sure that the students know that the best thing to do is to remove those unwholesome thoughts. If you think that this retreat center is bad, that you make it bad. You make your environment destructive because of the destructive thoughts that you have. And so we have to come out of those and come back to the point of, well, really, there's no place to go and nothing to do. I can just sit here and I don't even have to wait for the bell to ring because I don't even care. But a lot of students are sitting there waiting for the bell to ring, waiting for the bell yeah. to ring, waiting for, I, oh, I don't, you know. Uh, and that possibly is because in these retreats, they set too long. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: That, it, uh, that that's one of the things that we did change at Watch So MoOC, so that the sitting time now is not an hour or 45 minutes. is down to th- 30 minutes or even 20 minutes to have the students sh- sit for a shorter period of time Because that second half, that second half of the hour, is when real misery sets in. Exactly. We can handle it for a few minutes, or maybe ten, or fifteen, or twenty minutes, but when thirty minutes cuts sets in, and forty minutes, it work. Yeah. Yeah, And we're not there to get the students to be all miserable and everything. We're helping them to come out of the misery that they brought in with them. And so shorter sitting times, more walking, more in nature, each student actually going out on walks to get in disclusion, to be away from everybody else. And in that regard, I don't think there's any retreat centers that are actually big enough. That they need to leave the retreat center property in order to get away from people at the retreat center. And you can't do that. They've got a rule saying, oh, stay on our property.
0: Yeah, there's
1: like the the the, the, yeah, the barrier, and I, I don't know how to mm-hmm. the, whatever uh, the, the boundaries are. Yeah. Right, stay within. The boundaries, the boundaries. Like, yeah. And so this, there, that's the problem. Is is that um, we're setting up an artificial situation to try to mimic a real situation, and it it's got le- lack of benefits. That see when you're off on the woods together, or by excuse me, alone in seclusion, then the the bells don't mean anything. The hourly bells don't mean anything to you. You don't have to follow those kind of conventions and rules or whatnot, because when the bell rings, then what are you going to do? Well, you could have yeah. done that before the bell rang.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can just be like a uh, self-reliant. And-
1: So, um, if the students are going to practice correctly in there, then they need to be given the instructions correctly. We need to have shorter periods of time, uh, for the sitting and to not do such, uh, formalities, especially in, in, uh, a lot of the retreats have a lot of Asian formality to them. That seems strange to the students that are not really all that necessary. Um, and so this is part of the reason why I've gotten away from the retreats into the issue of each individual going and doing their own retreat and doing it wisely, doing it with being well prepared before you go and doing it correctly and then, uh, getting the great benefit out of it including dealing with things that go bump in the night and recognize that, okay, bears don't make noise at night. Yeah. So <laughs> if you hear something go bump in the night, you can say, wow, I'm glad it's not a bear <laughs> because bears don't make a bunch of noise unless they're tearing into something. But when they're out on the prowl, they don't make a bunch of noise that it could be a tree that falls or all kinds of stuff that could happen. But the point is, is that uh, at night, this is a time to be alert, be awake. Watch what's going on. If there is a noise, check it out. But if there's a noise and there's fear, then check out the fear and then check out the noise. Yeah, 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 it's
0: very... very, uh... Very in the moment to like uh, 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 get what's happening and where is the the bore or uh, where is the, <laughs> the, mm-hmm.
1: the yeah so the whole real point is is to be here now with what's going on and to recognize it yes so I felt afraid because I heard something make a noise that doesn't mean anything. And pretty soon you begin to get fearless. Oh, I can handle being out in the woods alone. I've done it one or two nights in a row. I can do it a third time and it begins to build confidence. And so these are the things that I would say, if the retreats are building the things that are talked about and mentioned in the sutras, especially the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path, then that retreat is good. But if the retreat winds up making problems for the students, rather than solving the problems that they came in here with, then that retreat is not of the best value that it could be. And as far as I know, that's how all the retreats are run. They run according to a tradition, the way that they used to run them. They're running them with a little comfort, and it's also the more people in that retreat, the better, because they can make more money with more people in the retreat. To where the right kind of retreat is when there's only one student. (laughs) And so then that student can actually be in seclusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Lauren, I'm really glad that you called me to tell me uh, that you actually did make some progress finally in the retreat. You finally came yeah. out of the hindrances and started enjoying the fact that there's no place to go with nothing to do. Yeah. It was a good experience.
0: I wanted to, to share it also with you, and maybe that could be helpful for uh, some people that uh, want to go into the retreat. <laughs> mm
1: hmm. Some some people just stay miserable in those retreats for the whole time and then they feel like a failure. Mm. But you don't look like you feel like being a failure. You look like you got something valuable out of that retreat that you're actually able to get over the hurdle that they created for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. even if it's unpleasant, it's always interesting. So it's always... uh... Doesn't mean because I felt bad that uh, it's, it was bad. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Hi. Right. Thank you for, uh, for the talk. Yeah. So but we can, can call this a bit of debriefing and you can get back into your practice and give me a call and we'll talk about more of uh, correct practice. But I would like to finish this with congratulating you. You survived. Yes, I did. <laughs> you didn't come back and right. start grumbling and to me about how bad the retreat was. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah. the retreat, it was bad. It's the mental attitude about the retreat is bad. And you were able to overcome that. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you later.
0: Good to see you. Have a good moment.
1: Bye-bye. <laughs> okay,
0: bye-bye. <laughs>